Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. I am happy to report that our listeners will not have to be painfully listening to me raspy voicing my way through this week's episode. Alyssa, you sound so much better. I'm glad you you sound better. Are you feeling better as well? I am. And it was mostly my voice like last week in general. But I think that California, just like the sea air. Have you seen Little Women yet? They say to like go to the sea to heal yourself. <laughs> and so I I think I like took myself to the sea and I've been healed by the, the sea air that I've been swimming in and just breathing in these last few days. And it's it's definitely been helpful. I think there is something magical about the ocean. So I'm glad I'm glad it is working its magic on you. How is camp? How's it going? Haley, it's having we're having so much fun. So I sometimes train with people in my normal home base life. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that my boyfriend can train with me often. I have um, a master's group, but it's it's pretty rare that people are doing like all of the same training that I'm doing day after day. I mean, I, I say it's very rare. Like, I don't think it really ever happens, right? Except for in camp. So there's just something I find so motivating and just so fun about everyone's going to have to do the training, right? And so like, you're all in it together. And day one, like, was everyone's just like nervous, but like excited to be in a new place, see some new roads, train on some new, you know, roads and things like that. And 
it's just a lot of new faces too. So like the time passes quickly when you're training because you're just learning about other people. You're catching up if you haven't seen them in months and things like that. And so camp is going really fun. We, the first day we kick things off with an easy jog. And then I will say this was like probably a low light for me was the sunset swim in the ocean. And if people know me, they know I am terrified of things that live in the ocean. So that I just like got through, got myself through it. And I did it because, you know, there's a 0% chance I would have ever done that on my own. And I had 15 of my good friends out there to do it with me. And so of course I was going to go do it, you know, so that was fun. I conquered that fear of mine for sure. Yesterday we had a swim and then a big ride up Mount Palomar here in California. And then today we had a swim run fun session that we like put together in this lagoon with all of these trails around it. So we did like a simulation because some people are doing swim run this year. So we wanted them to get some practice. We had an easy spin in the afternoon. It's just like, it's nonstop for sure. It's a lot like you're tired all the time. You're hungry all the time, but it is really fun. And like I said, there's new people and Haley, I've got, I got to ride a little bit with one of your athletes yesterday as we were heading up Mount Palomar, um, your athlete, Vanessa, who's here from Bozeman. And I think she's also enjoying soaking up some sun. Um, though she has talked up Bozeman quite a bit. And like between the two of you, I have, I've decided that my new short-term goal will be to get myself to Bozeman to see it in person. Definitely come to Bozeman. It is wonderful, especially in the summer. But just to, to refresh our listeners, if they weren't listening last week, you are in Encinitas, California, or San Diego, California. Encinitas, is it the, now, is it the same yeah, thing? It's the same. Okay. I think Encinitas is like a, a neighborhood-ish or something in Cal or in San Diego, but it's also a town. So yeah, like you address things to Encinitas. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you for that geography clarification. And this is the Hillary Biscay or Team HPB camp. Is it is it one that anyone can sign up for, or is this like a special invite camp? I obviously have an athlete there, but I I'm, I'm not exactly sure the path she took to get there. Yes. Yeah, so anyone can come. We obviously have a, like a lot of our athletes who come to do these with us, but and it's a great opportunity for us to be able to train with them in person and see things. But anyone is absolutely welcome. Um, you know, Hillary and her husband, Mike Twelsick are the head coaches, tons of Ironman experience, tons of like Mike was first off the bike in Hawaii one year. He's known as the German cycling machine. And it's a highlight to just get to ride anything with him. Um, he claims to be out of shape right now, but he, his out of shape will always still beat my most fittest I ever am. So that's always, it's always fun to get to share some miles with him and just get to soak in all of their experience. And you just laid out pretty three pretty full days, and and I think you're only halfway through. So this is a pretty intense camp, or pretty. How many people are there? You said 15 earlier. We're at the swim. Is that everyone? Yes. So we have 15 campers plus coaches, and we have. So it's a pretty good group, but we do have enough coaches. Like we always make sure there's enough to have all spectrums of abilities. So, you know, there are people who are giving me a run for my money. Um, people who are like trying to turn pro this year kind of thing. And then there are people who just do the sport for the love of it. And, you know, are definitely like, this is a huge, huge challenge for them to make it through. So all spectrums of kind of abilities and paces. And the fun thing is that we just, we make it so everyone can kind of, you know, take, tackle their own demons. Like I said, that swim for me was like a huge thing to get through. Right. So, um, everyone definitely has their, their highs and lows, I think through the days, but it's, it's pretty fun. And if someone didn't make it to camp this time, say they're still at home in the sun, in the snow, 
and looking at social media wistfully, wishing they had taken advantage and not necessarily wanting to wait an entire year. Are there any other camp opportunities that you're you're hosting this year? I think so. So we generally try to do at least two. If you do follow Hillary Biscay on the social media, you will realize her family is rapidly expanding these past couple years, and that is a big priority for her. So as babies keep coming. Um, you know, camp dates are a little bit more up in the air than they normally are this year. So that's why, um, at this point we we've just been focused on this January camp. She's actually due with her fourth baby at the end of her. Yeah. And at the end of February. So we're getting her to that and then we'll regroup from there, but just follow Hillary on social media. Follow me on social media. We post about it as soon as, you know, we know the dates and, We'll let everyone know it is it is very fun. It's also a fun opportunity to, you know, try out our style of coaching and and see how you like that. Are you going to do a swim run this year since you had you've been doing some specific swim run training? Haley, I really think I'm this like I wish there was more prize money in swim run because I think I'm like physiologically built for swim run. I mean, for like, I have, I'm good on trails, right? Like I love trail running and things like that, but, and I, I just like, don't get cold very easily. So swim run tends to be these like very cold environments. And that often is like a big hurdle for people. Even this morning, you know, people were freezing and I was like sweating, pulling down the swim run, wetsuit, you know, trying to get some more air. I just, I generally don't get super, super cold as long as I'm moving like through the water and running. So I like, I feel like, you know, I need to do this. And I will say that Liz Bauer, we talked to her in a previous episode and she talked about the swim run in North Carolina, which isn't too far from home for me. There is actually prize money at that event. And so I think, you know, I might be, I might be looking at that one. It's the end of October. So it would be like a end of season, hopefully, you know, fun, stay in shape for kind of event, but it is swim runs really, Haley, you need to try. I think you would also really enjoy just kind of the it's just so new that I think it's like everyone's finding it to be really fun. Maybe we could be a team because it's a team sport, right? Most of the time you're you're on a team. Yes. And I hope you would enjoy that tether that is going to be attached to you. That's pulling me through the water. But I will say with, but then you're going to pull me down <laughs> the trails. That's the problem. If anyone has seen me run downhill on trails, which Alyssa has, that is more, I think that's a little scarier. Having someone pull you in the water would be pleasant. Having someone pull you down steep trails is not ideal. <laughs> no. Yeah. We would, we would have to practice. I think practice is like with your partner is definitely a key to swim run success, uh, which I was, I think people were really glad to get that in today, but I would, I would do it with you, Haley. I think it would be fun. We could do like a live iron women podcast team event or something. I, I like how I like where you're going with this. I like the wheels are turning. So we'll keep this on our radar. Maybe people can write into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. If they think this is a good idea that, um, you know, if Alyssa and I should, should find a swim run race for later in the season, since Alyssa has like seven Ironmans to do before that. Haley, one of the other things that gets everyone through camp is all of the focus on eating and hydration and making sure you are on top of that because it is that's a ton of activity for us day after day and so you have to be like one step ahead of your refueling needs and I have to say that I feel like I'm talking more than I normally am and that's because I'm surviving right now on caffeinated noon sport and noon endurance the caffeine version like that is all I'm having right now through the weekend in my bottles and that like extra little kick of caffeine is like just the 
It's really, I mean, I feel like it's my secret weapon. Is that what I want to say? It might be my secret weapon of to how I'm like able to keep up with all the campers all the time. So I just gave I'm that glad. away. I know. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. But, and I'm also very glad because that helps us segue into our next sponsor announcement because we are super excited to welcome back Noon Hydration as an Iron Woman podcast sponsor. And if our listeners want to be well hydrated like Alyssa and a little bit ca- well caffeinated, they can go to noonlife.com, use the code Ironwoman and get 30% off, which is a huge discount. I'm personally kind of staying away from the, the caffeine right now, but I'm really f- a big fan of putting noon in hot water, both the endurance and the sport, the tablets and putting them in hot water, because even though the weather hasn't been crazy cold here, it's been cold enough. And there's just something about like a warm cup of noon that is just amazing. And the tablets dissolve really fast in hot water, which is fun to watch. It's also been a fun science experiment with Hillary's kiddos because they get super excited to have like a quarter of a tab of noon in their little cups. You know, we watch it dissolve and it's like a fun activity that will definitely take up at least five to 10 minutes of your time, which with little kids is a very important thing as you're trying to keep them focused on one task at a time. So between that and just, yeah, hydrating myself, I, I feel like I owe noon hydration a lot of my life lately. <laughs> and we have another announcement. Well, it's, I guess, an extension of our last week's announcement, which was last week we announced that the Ironman podcast is coming live to the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. We are going to host a live event on Wednesday, February 26th in Atlanta. That's the Wednesday before the U.S. Olympic trial Marathon Trials, which are happening the following Saturday. Those tickets are $20. They're available on livefeisty.com. And this week, Alyssa, we are excited because we get to announce who is going to be on the panel. So last week, we, we let you all know that Alyssa will be hosting. She'll be asking the questions and I will be on the panel, but it will not just be Alyssa interviewing me because even though that would be pretty fun, it's a little bit more fun if we bring some friends. So I'll be on the panel and I'll be joined by Ruth Brennan Mori, who has been on the Iron Woman podcast, I believe a couple years ago before I even joined the show. She's a retired professional triathlete and she qualified for her first U.S. marathon trials in 2000 when she was 24 years old. Those trials were held in South Carolina. And then she kind of went out of running for a bit, went to pro triathlon, retired from pro triathlon and is coming back for the 2020 Olympic trials 20 years later at age 44. So Ruth has a really cool story about seeing that change in women's running over 20 years. The next panelist we have is Sarah Bishop. And Sarah Bishop is a name that If you don't know it already, you probably should be learning it. She is a rookie pro. She's only been a pro for, I think, a couple months. And I actually think she raced 70.3 Worlds as an amateur. I think she was a second overall amateur there. And Alyssa, this is an even crazier story because I think she did her very first triathlon in May 2019. So this has been like an insane progression, right? To go from very rookie amateur to fifth place uh, professional in her last two pro races that she managed to squeeze in. She actually qualified before any of us. She was a runner before she was a triathlete. And she is even trying to squeeze in Challenge Wanaka two weeks before the Olympic trials. (laughs) And this just blows my mind, again, as someone who is training for this race. So there will be a lot to talk to Sarah about as well. 
So if you want to learn more about our panelists or any of the details for this exciting event, head to livefeisty.com and follow our social media for all those details, information about the panelists, and all of the fun information about why you should be coming. We do have some great raffle prizes that will be available on that night, and uh, we'll be announcing those in the coming weeks. So stay tuned with us week by week as well, and we'll keep letting you in on more information, but make sure you're getting your tickets soon. And Alyssa, we, we have our mailbag. We have some mailbag questions, but uh, we've run over a little bit on time again with all of our announcements, all of our excitedness, and we are going to save that our mailbag questions for future weeks. But thank you to everyone who has written in. We will get to those questions. And if you do have another question, send us an email at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We promise to get to it eventually. And if you, if it is urgent, if it's time sensitive, just put urgent in the, um, in the heading, because we, we do, we do care about you and we do want to get those questions answered. So thank you again to everyone who has written in. Haley, I'm going to tell everyone about our interview this week, which we are very excited for. We have Tara Norton coming on the podcast and we first had Tara on Iron Women in season two, which is an era that I like to call PH pre Haley. And I definitely encourage people to go back and listen to that episode. Like bear with me because we've definitely improved as Haley's come on and like things have evolved, but we had some great content there. And Tara goes into a lot more for detail of her first experiences with Ultraman, including running the double marathon with a stress fracture in her femur. So after she returned to Ultraman in 2018 and this past year, 2019, winning the female title both times, we knew we wanted to chat with Tara once again about this epic event and pick her brain about what it takes to train for and compete one of these events. I think she even has even Haley convinced maybe like there could be a spark that maybe one day she might want to do this. So Tara has over 25 top 10 iron, 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 I'm saying it too. Iron woman finishes, iron head finishes, um, to her name, just from her time racing as a professional. And she's, she raced the world championships in Kona six times with a best of 12th place in the professional field. So Tara, now that she's retired from pro- professional iron manning, she still has so much excitement, so much love of the sport. It is absolutely contagious. So settle in for our chat with her after a word from our sponsors. The Iron Woman podcast is proud to be supported by Zelios Skincare. Zelios products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt All Natural Chamois Cream, swim and sport shower products and body lotion you can get 20 percent off at teamzelios.com by using the code ironwomen yep you heard it right get 20 percent off your zelios order with the code ironwomen at teamzelios.com hi tara welcome back to iron women hey thanks for having me back again so since we last talked to you in 2017, you have raced the Ultraman World Championships twice, winning in both 2018 and this year in 2019. So knowing the grueling nature of an event like Ultraman, 
we have to ask, what is it that keeps you going back for more? Well, people know that I like to go forever. (laughs) And so since stopping racing as a professional for Ironman, certainly as I get older, I keep telling people I get even slower. And so now I like to go longer because going longer for me is actually comfortable. And I like the challenge both physically and also mentally of that keep on going. When the going gets tough, I might not be as fast, but I can keep going. And Tara, on paper, it looks like the 2019 race, you led wire to wire, but ultimately you only won by seven minutes. That's seven minutes of margin over three days of racing. What was it like to have such a close race over so many miles? It definitely, well, hopefully it made for call it good TV for some um, because when you're watching an event that lasts three days, I would say when it comes down to that close at the end, I know that uh, people who had some of the feedback of what was going on, it was very exciting. And I'm sure for Connie, as she waited at the finish line, it really did come down to the wire. So everybody there in Kona would have been also waiting with bated breath to see if I could actually pull it off or not. So I think the fact that we were racing for a total of 28 and a half, give or take, I think it was a bit more, 28 and a half hours to win only by seven minutes was pretty close and hopefully very exciting. And when you said that Connie was waiting for you at the finish, can you explain for those of us who aren't as familiar with Ultraman, like how that can happen, even though she was at the finish line first, but you ultimately won? Sure. So Ultraman is a three-day event, and ultimately whoever wins is whoever has the fastest time of the three days added together. So day one is a 10K swim, 145-kilometer bike, Day two is a 276-kilometer bike, and day three is a double marathon, so which is 84.4K. <laughs> so on day three, everybody starts that day at the same time, but depending on what happened in the first two days, the person who crosses the finish line first is not necessarily the winner. So they don't stagger it and put you, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's hours, uh, you know, difference between the competitors on the last day. And so when I started the run on day three, I knew that I had, I think it was like an hour and 20 minutes, 20 something minutes lead from day one and t- day two. I knew that Connie was a faster runner than me. So right out the gates, she was in front of me. And it was just a question of, could she make up more than that? And that is determined by the time I came to the finish line. And did you have updates out on the run course, like to know where the gap was like and how close it was at that point? Like, what was your mindset going through that double marathon on the Queen K, which is like (laughs) one of the craziest things I've ever gotten to witness, but I can't (laughs) imagine having to run it. Yes. So at the first half, when I came through Steve King's doing the announcing and I knew, you know, at that first half, I was just over a two hour half, which is exactly where I wanted to be to be pretty consistent for the day. And as I ran through, I heard that Connie was uh, about, you know, like a little bit under the two hour mark for so her half marathon. So at that point, I knew 
it was X amount of minutes. And then the same thing when I got to the marathon, Steve King was announcing and I knew that she had gained time on me there. And so then just kept running. And it really wasn't until the last 12 to 15 K where my crew were out on the road and they could see where Connie was and they would guesstimate approximately how much, you know, how much distance she had on me, which is always tricky when they're driving in an opposite direction and so on. But once she crossed the finish line, it was then very clear how, what time I needed to run. And I knew what distance I had left. So I got the feedback, you know, wherever I was, it was about 12 K to go that she was done. And so I needed to run a nine hour and 42 minute double marathon in order to secure the win. And at that point, when you're running very slowly downhill and you wonder how it's possible, you can possibly run that slow. I had to dig really deep and actually change my mental state and pick it up when all I wanted to do was sit on the side of the road and cry and say, forget it. I'm fine with just walking to the finish or whatever. So I knew with about 12 K to go exactly what I had to run. And so as you crossed the line, you said in a post-race interview that you were most proud of finishing strongly on a day with many moments of doubt. So this might surprise some people because you're such an experienced experienced and accomplished athlete that while we know it's a huge event, like you've done so much, you've done that event a couple of times already, you know, to have those moments of doubt still, um, might surprise people. So what was it exactly that was giving you those doubts throughout that day? It's such a long, hard run. And certainly for me, my mindset has changed a lot from, you know, trying to get that Ironman win that title to I'm really just loving the lifestyle and I'm loving going long and winning isn't my goal anymore. The crazy thing is when I got the feedback with 12 K to go, it definitely, my competitive nature from racing professionally kicked in. So I didn't know that I would even have that drive, you know, at that point, but the doubts came from basically not feeling great after that first half marathon. I think that maybe part of my problem was I didn't eat very well the night before, which is, you know, not what I tell my athletes to do. And um, I thought it would be fine, but it was different than my normal. And so that middle section, that middle marathon was really tough. And I just, nothing was wrong. I didn't have an injury. I just felt like I didn't have energy and like I couldn't go. And I literally was at times running, running downhill, wondering how it was possible I could be that slow. So I felt negative about my pace, but I didn't feel, I knew I would finish it. It was only when I got that feedback that everyone was saying to me, like, you can do this, you can win again, that I got a little bit more competitive and started to, you know, change my mindset, which was just, you know, changed to wanting to win all of a sudden when really I would have been happy coming second and certainly coming into this race. That wasn't my ultimate goal to to defend my title, which is what everyone kept asking me. And I kept saying, no, no, I'm just going to do it and finish and finish well and finish, you know, with a smile on my face. So you are an incredibly experienced athlete. So it's probably a little surprising for people to hear that you, you had these down moments. 
And you maybe make mistakes, like you mentioned, that you encourage the athletes you coach to not make. And there are times when you even struggle with eating the right amount, with keeping these negative thoughts at bay. Do you have any advice for our listeners, for, for us, for Alyssa and I, even veterans of the sport, on, on any tactics we should be using to overcome these down moments, moments of doubt? Yes, definitely. I think, uh, and this is what I would tell my athletes as well, is that that sort of classic statement of it will get better is a pretty good one to have in the back of your mind when you especially doing endurance events. We all go through those moments, no matter how amazing an athlete we are, of feeling like, you know, this is really nuts and I don't think I can do it. It's a, it can be fleeting when you can recognize that those are normal thoughts and that, you know, keep one foot going in front of the other will enable you not to stop to keep going. And it does feel better. You know, by the time I changed my mindset to let's get this done, my pace changed significantly. And I had some great people with me to motivate me as well. And, uh, and it's nice to know, you know, that even if it doesn't initially come from you, if you can think of other people or think about advice from your coach or whoever it happens to be, that if you can get that external voice to to, to encourage you to keep moving. A lot of people told me to put my head up, you know, my, my body language became negative. My, I was looking down at the ground and a couple of people said, you know, head up and those small little adjustments can change the whole mental outlook. And all of a sudden that pace, which doesn't feel actually like you're working any harder is a lot quicker and it's keep on moving forward. There was uh, a woman who ran with me also at the end. She caught me. She was pacing another competitor, and she's won Ultraman before. So she said to me, Tara, what hurts more, this or a broken leg? Because I ran that double marathon with a fracture in 2016. And at first I didn't answer her, and she's like, Tara? What hurts more, this or a broken leg, running with a broken leg? So I had to tell her, okay, running with a broken leg, you're right. (laughs) And so sometimes it is figuring out what words or what will help you to feel strong in those moments of doubt. And it really did help me to realize that I could pick up my pace. I was fine. I just needed to believe in it and keep it going. And I think it's interesting listening to you talk about that, right, is having those words, but then also you were so open to them, it seems like, you know, which is, I think, challenging for people when you're in like the hurt of a double marathon on the Queen K, like you just want to shut down and think like no one else understands how bad this is. No one else can possibly feel this pain, you know, whatever. And I see that when I've crewed Ultraman, like people don't want to hear the encouragement because they're just like, you don't understand. But I think you having more experience and maturity probably has helped you be open to be able to like feed off of that and then, and use it, which is paid off. Yeah. And this is kind of an interesting little uh, story that most, a lot of people haven't heard yet, except for my crew who tell everybody because they couldn't believe it. But when you're doing something like Ultraman, where it's so long and there's so many moments, like even more than Iron Man, right. Of that. What am I doing? Like, this is totally nuts. And this is the stupidest thing I've ever decided, you know, I've ever done. It's whatever makes you feel good. And that can be, you know, words of advice that can be uh, pretty much anything. What I did, 
at about, it was for sure past the halfway point, I brushed my teeth. (laughs) So I was eating, you know, maple syrup gels and disgusting, you know, gel food. I mean, I love that stuff, but not after 60K or whatever. And so all of a sudden, I just said to my crew, I need to brush my teeth. And I felt so much better after brushing my teeth. And after I left, my whole crew, they looked at each other and they're like, in all my years, I've never seen anything like this. She just brushed her teeth. So sometimes I think it's the little things that make you feel better and it, um, it enables you to keep going. Whatever it takes. I, I feel like I have heard of someone doing that in another race, like having a little toothbrush in transition. So maybe there's something to it. Maybe maybe this is like a sponsorship opportunity or maybe this is like something you need to invest in in like athletic toothpaste or athletic toothbrushes. I don't know. There's there's something there. But going back to, to Ultraman. So we do want to address this. And Alyssa had pulled up some stats for me because it. I was shocked. I think that when I think of Ultraman, most of the athletes I know who've competed are women, but women actually make up a really small percentage of the competitors. So I I think Alyssa even told me that this year there were only two at the world championship. So why do you think that is? So there were four signed up and three started. And one of the women didn't get an official time because she didn't finish day one, but she did finish day two and day three. Uh, which was amazing and a really uh, a great result for her. In my previous races, there have been, I can't remember, like five or eight women. But for sure, uh, one of my goals is to encourage women because, you know, with all of the, also the information that's coming out now of women being so good at endurance sports, I feel like this is a great opportunity for women to come and, I don't just love it like I do, but (laughs) biased opinion. But I do think that last year, My gut is that last year's race scared maybe some people this year. They had to change the bike course last year on day two. And there were, you know, 13 out of 40 or something that didn't finish, didn't make the cutoff in day two. And a few people missed it by mere minutes. And when you have raced 276K and you've missed the cutoff of 12 hours by a couple minutes, it's pretty heartbreaking. And I think maybe people looking at the results list last year might have been a little bit intimidated by the DNF rate. But even so, it definitely has been fewer women than men in Ultraman. And I think that may, I'm hoping it's going to change because I think that uh, it would be great to see more women out at Ultraman. And just to clarify on that course change, that was in 2018 because of the volcano eruption. Is that Correct. right? And so this year, or in 2019, it went back to the more traditional course. Is that correct? Yes. So it was slightly different than the original, original course because of not biking up over the Kohalas. It was the end of day two. It was slightly different. Instead, the last part of the bike was like the Ironman course. So climbing up from Kauai High up to Javi. Uh, a little bit past where the turnaround is, is the finish, like the turnaround from Ironman. So for Ultraman, it's, it's about two and a half K or three K past where you turn around for Ironman. And so this year had a very different, very difficult day two bike aspect. And that was the wins. It was class. It was the worst. I think Bob Babbitt said he's seen in 25 years or something. 
it, those crosswinds climbing up to Javi was insane this year. And the fact that everyone finished and made the cutoff this year was quite amazing. And so, Tara, given that you've now competed several times and gotten to talk to women who, you know, have taken the steps to do the event and often a qualifying event to get there, right? But at the same time, we know there's not a lot of women who are jumping in to do it. Do we, like, have you thought about ways to change this, um, you know, other than just kind of talking to you and sharing this story and hearing your love and passion for the event, hopefully inspire others. But, you know, have we been able to really, I don't know, find a consistent theme of what's the barrier for this type of event for women? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wish I knew. I mean, I don't know exactly what it is. And especially because I, so Ultraman is also, it's a big, it's a big endeavor. You, you know, it's, it's, I mean, most of the races people travel quite far, there aren't that many of them. And so, you know, there's often airfare, there's accommodations and you also have to have a crew. And, you know, when my crew comes, I know how much they've sacrificed to come to be with me. So I end up paying for all their accommodations and their food and it, you know, it adds up. And so, you know, maybe, and it's not that women can't afford it, but I think it's harder for just people in general to, to do an event like this. But as to why women, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing event in terms of having your own people and your crew. And so, you know, there's no reason why, I don't know. I, I honestly, I just want to let people know that it's an amazing endurance event and hopefully people will, I don't know. Sign up. I love that you kind of, I think you were alluding to the recent Guardian article about how women are potentially better at these ultra endurance events than men. And it cited examples like uh, Sarah Thomas, who we've had on the podcast previously, who swam the English Channel, first person ever to swim the English Channel four times in a row. She's an incredible athlete. And so obviously like women are, are built for these kind of events. It does seem, do you, is, is there a stigma? I mean, is it wrong to have a GoFundMe for, for raising money for a crew or for the entry for this? Because I feel like as someone who might not necessarily have the time to go crew for someone, I could definitely chip in a few dollars to help pay for someone else to go crew. I mean, is that, is that okay? Have you ever done anything like that? You know, I've, I've never set up a GoFundMe or, you know, anything like that, but sure. If there are women who can't afford to go and if that's the only reason, then I'm sure there's a lot of other supportive women and just people who would maybe like to contribute to something like that. Yeah. I did read that article. And the funny thing is, as I was reading it, it was that quote in there about, um, the same woman you're talking about saying, I don't do it to win. I just do it, you know, to challenge myself. And as I was reading the article, I was saying, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, sure. If that is a reason why women aren't doing it, I think we should, uh, we should look into that. And Tara, you mentioned how that in the 2018 race, the cycling may have been like an intimidating factor if someone was just looking at the numbers and saw the DNF rate for that day two bike. And, you know, looking at Ultraman in general, cycling is obviously a huge part of the event, right? And some women might be looking at the cycling side and just be intimidated and then be hearing you and be like, oh, well, of course, but, you know, maybe they know that you have the headset, the Ironman Lanzarote bike course record, right? Like, of course, someone like you could handle that biking in Ultraman, but like, 
maybe they feel like they just couldn't because they're just not at that level of cycling abilities, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about bike training for Ultraman? How, you know, accessible is it? How much time are you really on the bike? And, you know, do you, do you think it is possible for someone who's maybe completed an Ironman to be able to put in the time to do the Ultraman cycling? For sure, it's possible. Uh, I would say that the training for Ultraman on the bike is not a whole lot different than training for Ironman. I would say that the difference is that you do want to have at least a couple 200K or rides. So making sure it's less, I think about, it's more about time in the saddle. And so making sure that your body, your back, whether it be your butt, (laughs) whatever, that you can be on the bike for that kind of time frame. I think that the cutoff of 12 hours of the bike and proof of that is this year, every single person made the cutoff. So I think that finishing that bike in the time that they have allotted is very doable. And of course, every year it's going to depend on conditions and you can't predict that. And certainly in Kona, the winds can play a pretty major role in making it particularly tough on certain years. But I would say that that's the case in any race in any place in this world. So in terms of the training, I would say you definitely need to do a couple longer rides than for Ironman, but I trained almost all indoors. And so I ended up doing maybe three, five and a half hour trainer rides, which is mentally also very good training, but I only did maybe one 200 K ride outside. I did do a ride to New York City, which was like five days of consecutive riding, riding, which was good training. But I think aside from a couple long ones, it's not that different than Ironman. That is so interesting. I'm trying to like, I'm like doing, I'm like five and a half hours in the trainer. I can handle that. I'm, I'm all for this. This is me. You're making it sound very accessible. But one other thing that you said is that you really enjoy Ultraman because your daughter can be part of the race and your crew. So can you tell us about, about the family friendly aspect of Ultraman? It is ridiculously amazing. So one of the reasons why I go back, you know, every year. I probably won't go next year because my daughter is, we're hoping, will get selected to be in the Nutcracker and dance, which is that time of year. She hasn't been selected yet, so who knows, but I think it's time to focus on her. But yeah, no, (laughs) it's ridiculous. The crew aspect and the Ohana, they refer to the family of Ultraman, is so over the top that every athlete, respects every other athlete, every crew, we're all connected. It is so amazing to have that experience. So that you know, there is no crew that would not help another crew. And, you know, the race directors and all the people involved, people volunteer year after year after year, they come back. It's such an amazing experience in that regards that that is one of the reasons why I keep going back. So, you know, for people who want that, like, it's like how I remember Ironman being what, years ago when I started, it felt more small and intimate and like a family, you know, and this, it just puts to the uppermost level of amazing, amazing love. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Ironman's small and intimate anymore. <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, no, no. Um, 
Tara, Canadians did very well at Ultraman this year with the male winner also being a Canadian. So you live in Toronto and obviously it can be quite cold up there. You already talked about how you did most of your cycling indoors, you know, and again, I think Ironman training is hard, let alone Ultraman training, which you said there's, you know, maybe not too many differences, but still. So for our listeners, do you have any secrets to success for the endurance, like training through the cold times there? Um, you know, Ultraman is at the, it's the weekend after Thanksgiving typically. So it's not like you're even getting summer months to be training for it. You're, you surely had some cold spells leading into the race. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the good part about indoor training is it does also train that mental part of staying inside on, you know, the treadmill or the stationary bike or doing a million lengths in the pool. I couldn't swim open water until I got to Hawaii. And so I literally don't swim open water until I get there. I have done 10K swim in my wetsuit in the pool. And certainly doing the 10K swims in the pool, it seems forever, but it's good training. And so if you can fight through that, I think it just helps you on race day. But for sure, you know, after my swims at the University of Toronto, I would head close to the event, but I would, I would head into the steam room and I would sit in there for five or 10 minutes just to kind of acclimatize to at least some heat and some humidity. And when I went out on my runs, I would make sure that I was pretty layered up so that it wasn't like I was feeling cold. I felt warm. So I did some, you know, and same with the indoor riding, it's good for heat training because it's so, you know, you sweat so much indoors. So I think training indoors isn't necessarily bad. It's just that you have to be motivated to, to do the the stuff that where you're not going forward and you're not moving anywhere. So I had people come and do parts of my rides with me and that's always helpful as well. I'm trying to imagine 10 K in a pool in a wetsuit and it just sounds so hot, but maybe that's what you were going for. Or is this like the university of Toronto pool, like the perfect temperature? <laughs> I mean, do pools that cold exist? Yeah, you know what? I'm actually lucky because, and unlucky, but I get really cold in water. Uh, I get really cold in a pool where a lot of people don't get cold. So for me, swimming in my wetsuit, it was slightly warm, but I, I'm happy about that because if I don't wear my wetsuit, the end of 10K, like I am cramping and I'm freezing and my lips are blue. So for me, it was a little bit easier. Maybe for someone else who got warm, who gets warmer than I do, you could do part of it in your wetsuit. And that way you're just getting used to the wetsuit. Like I wanted to make sure that I wasn't chafing like crazy or that it fit me and that I, you know, wasn't cramping from it being a certain tightness or whatever. I would do some of it in the wetsuit and some without. Good alternatives for those of us who, who tend to overheat a bit. Tara, you have been in the sport for quite a bit of time. You've probably seen a lot of triathletes careers come full circle Many of them retire and seem to enjoy a happy life that isn't filled with swim, bike, run. You obviously are not one of those pro triathletes. You retired and have gone even longer. You're still training. You're still training a lot. Do you ever think about coming back to race Ironman professionally or otherwise? 
Oh my goodness. I could not race professionally. I'm too slow. I also, you know, I definitely, like I said, I'm not doing this to try and win anything anymore. I'm doing this more for, because I love it. I love to swim, bike, run. And given, I mean, it's pretty evident all of my bike crashes and all things that I've been through. I definitely do this because I love it. And I can't imagine not swim, bike and running. And so for me, this is just sort of the next step in swim, bike, run, where I love this challenge of going forever, and uh, I can't imagine not doing it. Kind of going along with that question, what about if there was a professional athlete or an elite amateur or even just an, a regular amateur who was maybe getting close to the end of what they felt like was their you know, very competitive Ironman career? Do you have advice for them as they transition, but they st- you know, obviously still want to compete in sport? They love swim, bike, run just like you do. Do you have any advice for that transition? We hear a lot about how that can be very difficult for people. Yeah, sure. You know, I think that you can transition. And actually, for me, taking all of that pressure off uh, was a really good thing. So... I, you know, I would have killed to have an Ultraman win when I was racing as a professional for a sponsorship for my results. You know, I came second in an Ironman. I never won it. I never got that, you know, title that we're all looking for. So the ironic thing is I, I know Ultraman's a little bit different and there aren't the same kind of professional, you know, people showing up to race it. But uh, I wonder if taking the pressure off for other people as well, but certainly for me, it it made it a lot more enjoyable. And and I don't know, I don't think that my results, I, if anything, I feel like it can enable you to do a better result when you take some of the pressure off. Not that people are going to try and win when they quit, but I do think taking the pressure off can also make it more enjoyable for people. I switched to trail running initially, which took all the pressure off because I could go out and be slow and have a learning curve. And it felt like it was all brand new and I had new technique to learn and I really didn't care how slow I was. And that was good for me in the transition because I wasn't trying to do Ironman. You know, if I kept going initially with Ironman, I think it would have been harder because I know those same, you know, it would be hard to just erase all of that history of trying to win. Now, if I was, when, when I have done Ironman distance races, I do them because they're extreme and you can't compare the times. I'm not worried about how fast I go. I'm just doing the race to finish it and enjoy it. And the ones I choose are hard and extreme so that I'm not worried about time. Speaking of hard and extreme, while we have you here, I do want to ask you about another event that was pretty unique that you raced in 2018, the Doxa Three-Lay. So this is in Utah, and it's an overnight triathlon that covers 285 miles in a nonstop two-day time frame. The Doxa Three-Lay is like advertised as an event that most people would do with a team of 12 people. But when you took on this event, you did it solo, becoming the first solo woman to conquer the event. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and what it was like to race like nonstop through the night like that? Because at Ultraman, you get, you know, you have the time limit each day and then, you know, you're at least getting a night of rest in theory, right? However restful it might be, but this is totally different. Yeah, I had never heard of this event until the race director actually reached out to me. So apparently I do have a little bit of a reputation of uh, completing crazy things. So he contacted me 
which was the first I heard about this event, and asked me if I would be willing to attempt to be one of or the first woman to finish this event solo, at which point I looked to see what it was. And what intrigued me about it was... And Alyssa, you, you mean you did the same basic distance running. I was intrigued by the fact that it, it was three different sports and they were in all different orders so that I didn't have to run the 100 miles all in one go. It was split up. So I thought for my body, it would also, one, it would make it more interesting. But two, there wouldn't be, especially for running, that wear and tear, that pounding for such a long time. The longest run was I think it was like 10 miles in one go or 11 miles. And then you transition 35 times. Um, <laughs> and so I was really intrigued by the fact that it was, you know, 36 different legs. And I'd never raced through the night. And I thought that this would be an opportunity to see, you know, how that was. And it was, it was really cool to do once. And for me, I like to sleep at night. I like you know, after doing it, I'm really proud and it was quite an experience, but I like to do the stages. I like to sleep at night. I don't mind pushing all day, but I like to then sleep and get up and go again and go again each day. But that one was, yeah, it was uh, 36 different swim bike runs. Is it set up on a loop course, like the double and triple anvils are? So you have like a base camp set up or is it like a point to point at times? It's point to point. So you have a whole crew along with you and once so again. My, and so they're not getting sleep either. <laughs> yeah. So you've crewed for Ultraman. That is really one transition. And this was literally 35 transitions. My crew was amazing. They would go ahead. Sometimes it was, you know, like, a, I don't know, I can't remember the distances, but let's say a five mile run and they're scooching ahead to set up the whole transition. And it was insane. They were amazing. And yes, they went through the night. So back to back Ultraman World Championships, the first ever Doxa woman. We are very hard pressed to come up with what is next for you and your angel crew. <laughs> is anything else on your radar? Epic five, Uberman, something I've never even heard of. <laughs> so uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. And I definitely on my bucket list, I really want to do Norseman, uh, one of the extreme try series. I, that race has been on my radar for a long time. It's really hard to get into. So I will keep trying with the lottery. I think I've tried maybe four times now, haven't gotten in. So I'll keep trying for that. Um, I like that series, the extreme try series. So I may pick some more of those, but I'm contemplating this year, actually doing some pure cycling and they now have, you know, the grand fondos, they have a world championships that's going to happen in Whistler. And I can't believe I'm verbalizing this, but I'm contemplating actually doing the road race and the time trial. You have to qualify. You have to come, I think it's maybe top 20% in your age group. So there's some qualifiers uh, like in Alabama and I think Quebec and Utah are ones that I've looked at. And so that's a possibility. I'm a bit nervous about the group riding, but I think I can stay out of trouble. I, I can't afford to crash again. So, you know, crit stuff has never interested me, but I think this would be something that I might really like. Although 120 something K, I have to go faster. So my training will be a little bit different. Uh, that's on my on my potential right now. 
Well, Tara, thanks so much for taking time again to talk to us and tell us about your adventures. I have no doubt that there will be women inspired to take on an Ultraman challenge after hearing you talk about it because it got me excited and I have like already sworn off that I'm not actually ever going to try it. I'm just sticking to the crewing, <laughs> but thank you so much. And how can uh, our listeners follow you as you know, you work towards your cycling goals maybe this year. Yeah. Um, so they, if they're in Toronto, they can come to my new cycling studio. I've opened a cycling studio in Toronto. So if anyone is listening and they need indoor training to help train in the winter months, T-Train Cycling Center in Toronto. And yeah, I'm on, I'm coaching with Team Atomica. Dot com, so they can go on there and email me. It's Tara at teamatomica.com. And if anybody has any questions or anything, I'd love to receive an email. We'll be sure to link to all of those in our show notes. And thank you again, Tara, and happy new year and good luck with the rest of 2020. Thanks for having me. And Alyssa, I'll crew for you when you do Ultraman. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90 minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Alyssa, after listening to Tara... Would you ever consider doing an extreme iron distance race like Norseman, Keltman, Fodaxman, Patagonman? I mean, never say never, Haley, right? I feel like just, you know, part of my love of sport comes from seeing so many like cool, beautiful places I would not get to otherwise. And swim, bike, running your way through it seems like a really good excuse. So I think there will definitely be a time and place in my sporting career for that. I have to say, what about you? Yeah, maybe. I especially the ones in South America, the Fodax Man, which is in Brazil, Patagon Man in Chile. Those two, I think, um, or is, is Patagon Man in Chile or in Argentina? I'm not sure. Maybe it's in Patagonia. Yeah. I mean, those have been some of my favorite places to to race in the world, to do any sort of race. And they are parts of the world, like you said, that I wouldn't have probably otherwise discovered that I now have just have these amazing memories of. So I think those two would be maybe on my list. Plus you could like, you can go there when it's summer there and winter here. And that's always really fun. I, I know, love the Southern like, hemisphere. We're living the like retirement <laughs> snowbird life. That's just what you want to do. Basically. But that was a great, great conversation with Tara. So thank her. Thank Thanks to her. <laughs> thanks her um, for coming on the show and sharing her stories. And once again, welcome back to Noon Hydration as a podcast sponsor. We are very thankful for Noon support. And all of our listeners can go to noonlife.com, use the code IRONWOMEN, and get 30% off. And Atlanta, 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 everyone needs to come say hi to us at our Iron Women podcast live event in Atlanta 
the Wednesday before the U.S. Marathon Olympic Trials, February 26th. The details are at livefeisty.com. Tickets are $20. We're going to have amazing panelists, a lot of fun, so much like inspiration will be happening. I can't even contain myself. So get your tickets while you can. See you in Atlanta. Bye, Alyssa. Good luck with your last couple of days of camp. Thanks, Haley. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.